Well, let me invite you, if you have a Bible this morning, to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 23, and we'll read that together. Here we read these words. For I deliver to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain." On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it's not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Well, the great writer, C.S. Lewis, he once said this about Christianity. Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Of course, the exact same thing could be said about the central event of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If the resurrection is false, it is of, of, of no importance. But if it is true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing the resurrection cannot be is moderately important. And so I want to speak to two people today, two people on our call with us together this morning. First, I want to speak to those of you who believe that the resurrection never happened. Those who are convinced 
that the coming back to life of a Jewish rabbi in an obscure outpost of the Roman Empire a long, 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 long time ago is the work of fiction and fairy tales propagated by a devout few. If that's you this morning, welcome. Welcome. We're glad you're here. My hope is that today and in the coming weeks and days, you would move from thinking that the resurrection is of no importance to believing it to be of infinite importance. But there's another group with us this morning. I want to speak to those of you who would say that the resurrection, yes, Jake, is of infinite importance, but truthfully, Honestly, really, the resurrection is more like a doctrine you brush off at Easter, maybe blow the dust off, but then, as author Sam Albury writes, effectively stick it back in a drawer for the rest of the year at a loss to know what to do with it. The reality is, for this other group of people with us this morning, the resurrection is truthfully, moderately important. And just like the first group, my hope is that you would see today again and anew that it is of infinite importance. And in order for all of us together to see the infinite importance of the resurrection, I want us to see three things today. Three really simple, true things. First, the resurrection that was. Second, the resurrection that is. And then thirdly and finally, the resurrection that is to come. That was, that is, and that is to come. And so first, the resurrection that was. Now, of course, in order to understand the events of Easter Sunday, what we're celebrating today, we have to go back a few days, of course, to Good Friday, to Good Friday. We must look to Good Friday, where Jesus of Nazareth, this growingly popular teacher who less than a week earlier, if you remember Sam's sermon from last week, less than a week earlier had been hailed, celebrated as the Savior of Israel. And on Good Friday, this Jesus of Nazareth, this once praised Savior, was crucified. Now, while there were a few earthly reasons for Jesus' crucifixion, in our passage today, we're given God's perspective, God's reason. Our reading begins, look at 1 Corinthians 15 with me. Our reading begins with the Apostle Paul repeating a message of first importance. This message had likely come to define and be repeated amongst and circulated within this burgeoning group of Jesus followers. This was their creed. This was their mantra. And this is how the saying begins. The Apostle Paul tells us, For I delivered to you this message of first importance, what I also received. Ready? This is how it starts. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. See, the previous Sunday, as Sam showed us last week, it seemed as if the lifting up 
and the exaltation of Jesus of Nazareth would be to a throne. It seemed as if, if all we have is Palm Sunday, that it would be celebration and palm branches and party forever. But what we read in the historical account of Jesus' life, these Gospels, is that Jesus is not lifted up to a throne, but on a cross. Why? Well, the ancient creed tells us Christ died for our sins. And the first thing we have to learn here is that Jesus of Nazareth was not just Jesus of Nazareth. The title which has been given to Jesus, the Christ, this title tells us that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the long foretold Messiah, the one, did you notice this repetition, that the scriptures had always been pointing towards Jesus is God, the divine Son come to rescue us and his people. See, it is as the Christ that Jesus goes to the cross. And at the cross, we see two things, two things our world cries out for most today. We see justice and we see love. These two things, justice and love, are perfectly seen, even defined, in one single moment. See, in the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, our sin, our rebellion against God, is accounted for. We heard Paul say, didn't we, in verse 21, for as by a man came death. Humanity, not born, neutral to God. We are born instead in Adam, dead to God, deaf to his commands, hearts cold to his love, arms crossed in defiance. This is sin, the Bible tells us, and its destination both now and forever is death. But in another letter Paul wrote to this same church in Corinth, he says this about this moment on the cross. Paul says, for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin, even though he knew no sin. See, we see justice at the cross. Our sin does not get swept under the rug. Our rebellion is not just ignored or, or done away with sort of just by forgetting. No, it's dealt with. Our Father is just, and that is a good thing. But if it's my sin, why is it paid for by him who knew no sin? And this is the love, the goodness of Good Friday. In love, the Christ, the Son of God, gives his life that we might no longer be estranged, alienated, apart, away from our Heavenly Father, our Creator. But so often, even as Christians, we stop here. We say something like this. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You can be forgiven if you trust in him. And that's true. That's true. And if you don't know Jesus, you should trust in him today. But that is part of the good news. That's part of the gospel. 
See, Paul's not done reciting this ancient saying. He says this, he continues in verse 4 to 5, this Jesus was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. I want to be so, 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 so clear this morning. It does us absolutely no good whatsoever to talk about the resurrection as a metaphor or a symbol. Let me repeat that. It does us no good this morning to talk about the resurrection as a metaphor or a symbol. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is not a historical event, it is of no value. It's of no value. Paul said that. See, Paul speaks using the language of history, doesn't he? It was on the third day Jesus rose. He appeared to Peter and then to the rest of the apostles, then to 500 more people, then to James, and finally to Paul himself. And he did not rise. He does not appear as a phantom or as a mirage, as a spirit, as it were. No. In his book, Can We Trust the Gospels? A scholar, Peter Williams, he writes this. The resurrected Jesus is recorded as appearing in Judea and in Galilee, in town and countryside, indoors and outdoors, in the morning and the evening, by prior appointment and without prior appointment, close and distant, on a hill and by a lake, to groups of men and groups of women, to individuals and groups of up to 500, sitting, standing, walking, eating, and always talking. Many are explicitly close-up encounters involving conversations. Then he writes this, It is hard to imagine this pattern of appearances recorded in the Gospels and early Christian letters without there having been multiple individuals who claim to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus happened. And though his body was like something the world had never seen before, make no mistake about it, it was an embodied resurrection. And this, I believe, is what separates Christianity from every other religion, every other New Age movement, every other home-brewed spirituality that exists in our city. See, as author Tim Keller writes, Christianity opens with, opens not with, here's how you have to live, but rather, here's what Jesus did for you in history. First, he died for our sins and was buried. And second, he was raised to life on the third day and he appeared to many eyewitnesses. The good news of Christianity is not, here's how you should live or here's what you need to do or here are five steps to a better life. No, the good news of Christianity is here is what has already been done for you. And it means this, the truth of my preaching this morning, the truth of our faith, the truth of Christianity does not rise and fall with you accepting it this morning. The truth of, of Christianity does not rise and fall with you adopting it as a lifestyle or a way of living in the world. 
No, the truth of Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection and crucifixion that has already happened. It's already taken place. We should ask now, what exactly then is the meaning of this resurrection? What does it mean for me today? This is point number two. The resurrection that is. What's so fascinating about our text is that Paul's not content. Did you notice this? He's not content to let the historical event of Jesus' death and resurrection remain in the intellectual or historical realm. Rather, this resurrection deeply impacts Paul's personal life, his heart life, we could say. Listen to what he says. Look back at your Bibles if you have them at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 8 to 11. Listen to what Paul writes. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now, if you saw Paul's resume, you might be surprised to hear him talk this way. History tells us that he was well beyond any of his peers, a devout scholar, zealous in his calling, Uh, Today, we might call Paul driven or focused, right? Pre-Jesus, Paul might have a blog talking about how to get things done at work, a podcast. Lots of people were listening to. This is work, Paul, getting things done, Paul, right? He would have been the pride of his community, would have brought honor to his family name, would have walked around with his, his chest puffed out, right? He's a big deal. It's surprising to hear Paul talk about his life like this before Jesus. But when he encounters the resurrected Jesus, everything changes. See, when you and I encounter the resurrected Jesus, it challenges us not only intellectually, not only rationally, but personally, at our heart level. Again, author Tim Keller, he writes this. This is, I think, really helpful. Paul not only had to overcome his deep rational doubts that a resurrection could happen in the midst of history and that such a weakling could be the Messiah, right? The Jews were expecting a a triumphalistic sort of entry, a king with a sword and an army and, and military might. But he also had to see that his righteousness was insufficient, that he was spiritually lost, and that nothing less than the death and resurrection of the Son of God could save him. Only when Paul, who thought he was the best, finally came to see that he was the least, did he become someone great. Resurrection in us begins, like it did with Paul, with death. Before we have good news, we have bad news. We have the exposure of our own unworthiness, our own inability, our trophies 
finally seen as a cheap plastic that they really are. See, I think we live in a world, don't we, that wants resurrection, that wants life to the full, wants to be the resurrected, resuscitated, best versions of ourselves all the time, in every way. I want that, you want that. And this rule tells us that the pathway to our resurrected self, well, it varies. We can follow our heart and see if that works. Follow your intuitions, your, your, your gut. Or we can, we can commit ourselves to, to self-improvement. Working harder, ensuring that we're on the right side of the latest, most pressing issues. But if Paul is right, don't miss this, Christ City. If Paul is right, then the way of following your heart, the way of self-improvement, only leads to death forever. The Bible tells us that the way to life now and forever, resurrection now, is through death to self. There is no resurrection life aside from death. Death to our Adam-like desires. Death to our little throne over our little kingdom. When we die that death, and join Jesus in dying that death. It's at this point that we can know that Jesus, Peter writes, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Listen to the present implications. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, the resurrection is, yes, a historical event, but it's talked about in the New Testament like a lived and present reality. A right now enjoyed reality. A truth that just affects me and changes me. Paul writes that his downward social movement and the losing of all his prestige and is worth it if only that he, listen to this in Philippians 3, may know him and the power of his resurrection. Let's not skip past this first. How does Paul know Jesus and the power of his resurrection? He keeps on going by sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We all want resurrection, but no one wants to die. And over the church in Ephesus, he prays that they might know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And I don't want to just brush past that. The same Holy Spirit third person of the Trinity that raised Jesus Christ of Nazareth from the dead, the second person of the Trinity, now lives in you and in me and in us, the church. And because he lives in us, our identity, who we are and who we can be and what we can do has fundamentally changed. It's been altered. And can I tell you something? 
This truth has never been sweeter to me than it is today. Some of you know, uh, I just took some time off. We welcomed our fourth son. Pray for us, our fourth son uh, into uh, our life. So took some time off for that. It was amazing. And and if you're a parent, uh, you know that you're often discouraged when you consider two things. One, the parent that you want to be. And two, the parent that you are. The parent that you want to be and the parent that you are. I want to be gracious and patient and loving and kind and gentle. And I'm often not those things. And this is not just for parents. We experience this in every sphere of our lives. The employee that we want to be or the neighbor that we want to be or the friend that we want to be. And here's where we really are. And at one point while I was away, I was driving down Highway 1, feeling this gap of who I am and where I want to be, and the reality of my sin and my angst. And I was driving down Highway 1, and I remember hearing this worship song. And hear the words in that song. And I just started crying. The song goes like this. He picked me up. He turned me around. He placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the master. I thank the savior because he healed my heart. He changed my name. Forever free, I'm not the same. The resurrection is about what Jesus has done for us. And he did it. He did it. Like Paul, and like so many of us, I have been trying to change myself from the inside out, find it in myself to just change and to be better and to do different. And it's like a dead person, if you can think about it this way, trying to give themselves CPR. Can you picture that with me? Someone lying on the ground, dead, trying to resuscitate themselves. Breathe life into themselves, change themselves, make them alive. And resuscitation and resurrection is not something I do, it's something God has already done. We live in the power of the resurrection, not by trying to obtain to a standard, but by simply reminding ourselves what God has done in grace to us. So if you want, can you just close your eyes this morning? I want to remind you of what God has done in grace towards you. He picked you up. He turned you away from death. He placed your feet on solid ground. He healed your heart. He changed your name. You're not the person you once were. He has done it. This is true now. This is the resurrection available to you today. And and while the cycle of death and hurt and heartache and sin continues in this life, the gospel message is that one day this will end. This is point number three. The resurrection to come. One more time, 
1 Corinthians 15. Look at verses 20 to 23 with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Oh, that's so good. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, listen, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Paul says, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, is that not the sweetest verse in all the Bible? Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, he's talking about you and me. Truthfully, there are two resurrections that the New Testament speaks about. There is one that has happened. This is Jesus' resurrection. And there is one that will happen. This is our resurrection. And to those who belong to Christ, to us, Paul says, Christ acts as a sort of first fruit or an early harvest. In other words, if you belong to Christ, you will be resurrected and given a new body like Christ to enjoy Christ and live in Christ's kingdom. Can I say that again? There's a lot of Christ. If you belong to Christ, you will be resurrected on the last day and given a new body just like Christ to enjoy Christ for all eternity in Christ's kingdom. And if you think this future reality has no present implications, let me kindly suggest you couldn't be more wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. Kyle Harper, he's a historian who writes on ancient pandemics. It's a very timely topic these days. Some of you know this, but in the first centuries of Christianity's existence, there were a number, really for the first 500, 600 years, a number of devastating, devastating plagues, like truly horrific plagues. And strangely, not only did these plagues not mark the end of Christianity, these plagues, in a strange way, they actually lent themselves to the growth and the flourishing of Christianity. Listen to the reason Kyle Harper gives for this in an interview. He says this, For Christians, this life was always meant to be transitory. Transitory. And just part of a larger story. I want to pause for a second. That is the exact opposite of how most people think about this life as transitory. Think about that. You've got only one life to live. Got to do it all now, right? The clock's running out. But for Christians, this life was always meant to be transitory. Harper continues to say this, what was important to the Christians was to orient one's life towards the larger story, the cosmic story, the story of eternity. They did live in this world. They did experience pain and, and they loved others. But the Christians of that time were called to see the story of this life as just one of the stories in which they lived. The hidden map was this larger picture. Harper continues to say in the same interview, 
that as the empire crumbles and civil life begins to change, people's relationship with the gods and ideas about the gods begin to change. It is safe to say that COVID has changed how we view God or the gods. It's changed how the world thinks about the divine. And for those of you on the call this morning who think that the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is of no importance, let me ask you a few questions. What guarantees, what down deposit does your God give you? Does your worldview give you? Does your ideology give you that there is life beyond this suffering? That injustice and illness will one day fully be healed. What hope do you have? What have your gods offered? For Christians, the down deposit, the, the guarantee is the empty tomb, is the historical resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, is the resurrected Christ. For followers of Jesus on this call, tempted to shelve the resurrection until Easter next year, where it will be dusted off again. Do you see how the resurrection is of infinite importance? Of infinite importance. Not only at Easter, and not only for the future, but how you live today. Friends, you have the Holy Spirit living in you now. You have a resurrected identity now. You have power to overcome sin and live differently now, today. And you can do this because the story you inhabit does not end with death. The resurrection of Jesus is of infinite importance. How will you respond? How will you respond? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that by your spirit, you are speaking to us this morning, to me, to all who are on this call. And I pray that now we would not shut out your voice, that as your spirit calls Christians on this call to deeper faithfulness, reminds them of the gospel hope that they have, seeks to encourage and correct, that we would not shut out your voice, that we be attentive to the voice of your spirit. And for those on this call who do not yet know you, who are hearing your voice now, would they not shut it off? Would they not stop up their ears? Would they in this moment confess you, Jesus, as Lord? Would they believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for their sin? and that you came out of that tomb so that they may have life and life to the full. Father, we thank you that you love us so much as to speak to us this morning through your word and by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.